0: When you know your purpose and you're having a good day, you follow your purpose. When you know your purpose and you're having a bad day, you follow your purpose. Now, that's a stunning statement. When you're having a bad day and you follow your purpose, it turns a bad day into a good day. I am now initiating my life, not the pandemic, not the bad boss, not the bad economy. I am initiating my day. And I think that's what it's all about.
1: Leaders face challenges every single day. That's why Udemy Business is bringing you a new podcast called Leading Up. I'm Alan Todd, the host of Leading Up and vice president of Udemy Business. In every episode, I have conversations with guests who share the inspiration, advice, and research you need to level up. Let's work Lead and live differently. In today's tumultuous world, sometimes it's hard to know which way is up, but finding your purpose can help young leaders move forward. That's why I'm so thrilled to be speaking with Professor Bob Quinn. For 40 years, his research and teaching has led the way for how people think about positive and purpose-driven leadership. He's a professor at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, and he's a co-founder of the Center for Positive Organizations. He's written 18 books, including Deep Change, The Positive Organization, and The Economics of Higher Purpose. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Alan, I'm just delighted to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, we're gonna get started. I'm So looking forward to this, and here's the first uh, diving right in. So the world that we live and work in today, we have divisive politics, social unrest, we have a pandemic, we have climate change, we have layoffs coming everywhere, scary economy. How do we pull ourselves up from all of this?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a hugely important question. But the truth is, we're living in unprecedented change it's driven by technology, it creates uncertainty, and all our institutions are struggling because of it, and the consequences are very real. In the last year, I, every session I've done with executives, and I do a lot of them, I start out with this question. I raise the issue you just raised, and then I ask them, what's different in your personal life because of the patterns of the last three years? and the first reaction is big smile shake the head nothing 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 and then i i push the issue and then it just starts pouring out and the stories are just astounding you know, i just did this last week and a man talked about being in charge of a company large company in india during the pandemic and he talked about everybody dying <laughs> You know, employees, parents of employees. He talked about getting ventilators 300 miles from one place to another in a cab, not from the employee, but the father of the employee. Just pure chaos for months and months. And then described what it was like trying to live through that. And then the issues go on and you say, how did this person get out of bed this morning? So, you are asking, I think, the crucial question, and it sets up this whole topic. And, you know, the, the thing we're talking about is purpose. Purpose is the key. It's not about someone coming in and solving all the big problems. It's about you and I leading our own life, taking charge. And when we're inundated with uncertainty, when we're dealing with these kinds of problems, there's only one thing that we can do that's going to orient us, stabilize us, and move us forward, and that is to know what our purpose is in life. And then, one is knowing it, and two is organizing our life around it. The moment we start to do that, the helplessness disappears, energy climbs, we start to move forward, we function differently, and as we'll talk about, I'm sure there are all kinds of payoffs, and we can talk about that later. So- as a result of
1: politics and society and pandemic and climate change, there's kind of this new thing happening. Now there's this sense that as a result of all those external factors, we're, we're seeing headlines, they're calling it the great disengagement. A crazy number of people are thinking of leaving their company next year. They're just feeling overworked, right? They're tired. Um, and I wanted to just get your thoughts first. We'll start, like, what are your thoughts on dealing with burnout? How do you get there? How do you get out of it?
0: Yeah, I I think that burnout directly relates to your first question, and that is we're overwhelmed at work. The boss is not listening. They're giving us um, still more to do when we can't do what we already have. You know, all those kinds of dynamics, and the list goes on and on and on. And uh, there's only one thing that people can do, and that's shut down (laughs) when you become overwhelmed. And so we see this enormous disengagement everywhere we look, and it's very much tied to the, the other thing. Let me maybe share a personal story that I think brings to life the major point, because it's burnout, disengagement, discouragement, a long list of things that all tie together. I have a daughter All of a sudden, the Prince Charming walked onto the stage. She was a happy camper. Three months went by. This guy just dumped her, and she was pretty upset. And she said, I'm coming home this weekend. So I go to the airport. I pick her up. She gets in the car. She doesn't say, hello, how are you? She starts in, that no good, dirty, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. By now, we're in the house. I reach into my file cabinet. I pull out a piece of paper. It says, Robert Quinn, life statement. She rips it out of my hand. She starts to read, and then she slows down. She looks up. She said, when you feel bad, you read this? I said, no. When I feel bad, I rewrite it. It's been rewritten hundreds of times. And then the first miracle occurred. She disappeared in the bedroom and stayed there for a day and a half writing a life statement. The second miracle occurred three days later. She went, got on a plane, flew back home, and she sent me an email. And she said, he called me. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. She said, uh, what he thinks doesn't matter. Now, wait a minute. What he thought three days ago caused her life to shatter. But now she's written this life statement, and she's saying, what he thinks doesn't matter. You see, I know who I am. This life statement captures who I am and how he responds to it, positive, negative, or otherwise, just doesn't matter because this is not going to change. Now, that is absolutely stunning. Now, here's the interesting sequel. Three weeks later, she gets promoted, and then she gets promoted again. And in that three-week timeline, they're detecting that she's a leader. She wasn't a leader before, but she knows who she is. And she's behaving differently. She's internally directed. She's not living out of fear like all the rest of us. And they detect it. And organizations are hungry for leaders. And she starts getting promoted. Now, to me, that's the very essence of the science we're talking about. When you and I clarify our highest purpose in life, when we have a clear intention, a contribution to make, it changes how we behave. We move from being externally directed and fearful and ego-driven to being internally directed and contributive. We're living by our conscious, not our ego. And it changes how we interact with people. and It changes how we treat ourselves. It changes everything, including, now this is your question, including our ability to cope with the big problems of life, including burnout, discouragement, pandemic. When you know your purpose and you're having a good day, you follow your purpose. When you know your purpose and you're having a bad day, you follow your purpose. Now that's a stunning statement. When you're having a bad day and you follow your purpose, it turns a bad day into a good day. I am now initiating my life, not the pandemic, not the bad boss, not the bad economy. I am initiating my day. And I think that's what it's all about.
1: So, Bob, that's a fascinating story. In your book, Deep Change, you wrote something about the most important thing you said is know thyself. And it reminded me of Socrates, a quote, the unexamined life isn't worth living, something along those lines. How do people get started? It sounds like it was sort of miraculous outcomes and easy, but I suspect it's not that easy.
0: It is uh, extremely difficult. I routinely, in meeting with executives, dump a shock on them. I flip up a PowerPoint slide and I say, you have 90 seconds. Write your life purpose. Why are you on this planet? What's your mission? How will this planet be different when you die? they are in complete shock. I say, okay, you're down 85 seconds. <laughs> they still struggle, and then they start to write. And then I say to them, how many of you found that difficult? 95% of the hands go up. I say, well, why was it difficult? Well, I've never thought about it before. Uh, how do you reduce your life to a single sentence? You know, they have a whole set of things. I say, how many of you found it easy? And there's always 5% that raise their hand. And I say, why was it easy? well, I've thought about this a lot. Now, there's the key sentence. I've thought about this a lot. Finding your purpose requires reflection. That sounds so easy. The fact is we hate to reflect. We hate to take time and just think, right? It feels like a waste of time. So there are a variety of Of exercises that I work with people on in terms of starting to clarify what their purpose is. I often give them a list of examples from kind of mindless purpose statements to much deeper purpose statements where people have really worked at it. Personally, you know, my purpose statement is three words. I can boil my life down to three words inspire, positive, change. And I could talk for two hours about each of those words. But if I'm feeling discouraged and I say those words, inspire positive change, I instantaneously transform. I instantaneously focus. I instantaneously have motivation. Well, those words make me different. Whenever we know what our purpose is and it's real and authentic, we begin to walk the path less traveled by. We don't behave like the mass of people that do what we do. It changes how we perform in life and we're no longer normal.
1: All right, so let's let's take this a step further. You've done research, you've argued and demonstrated that companies that have a purpose beyond making a profit actually end up making more profit, right? They they outperform the rest. You wrote a book on it, The Economics of Higher Purpose with Angie, And for whatever reason, leadership teams are busy running the business for this quarter. And they see this as it's yet another thing to add to my plate. So to take this purpose journey, to become purpose-driven, to go look at that. Why should they do that?
0: Yeah. So all of a sudden, we're shifting now, a very important shift, from an individual personal purpose to the purpose of the team the group, the division, the entire corporation? Well, the first thing, your question is is so important because they don't believe they should. Why would they waste their time stating their purpose? It's obvious what their purpose is. They've got objectives, they got, right? Well, that's just not true. When you push a group of executives, including very sophisticated CEOs what is the purpose of the company, they will give you an answer. It is uninspiring because what they're doing is restating what they already do. They're restating their objectives or their mission statement. A purpose statement is why do we do what we do? I was just on the phone with the CEO yesterday who told sort of the classic story. He he was in a company that sold... Uh, Merchandise to children. The sales force were working mothers. And uh, he knew that to grow the company, he had to greatly increase the number of mothers, the sales force. That was the key to growing the company. Well, he was a finance guy. And he thought, like any good executive, right? Classic logical analysis came up with strategies, and they all worked. At the one to 2% level. But it wasn't getting them where they needed to go to reach their their goals. He began to rethink the whole thing. In their biannual meetings, he set up a booth, had uh, some professionals do it for him, where they interviewed these mothers and asked them what they loved about their work. They began to talk about freedom. I can be a mother but I can contribute income to the home and I can do it in a way that I feel like is meaningful. And they gave other answers. Now the answers were stunning and they were news, right? These guys are running the company, they should know, right? They don't know. <laughs> now the moment they were aware of this, they began to reshape the whole effort. If this is giving you this meaning and purpose, we should shift this whole thing so it's giving you more of that meaning and purpose. Now that that's happening, and that you love it, you know what? You should go out to your friends and invite them to have that. And guess what happened? Not a 2% improvement, 100, 200%. That's what always happens with purpose. You get exponential growth as opposed to incremental growth. Now, if we had tried to persuade that guy a year or two or three before he went through the thought process, it would have been a hard sell. Because all of these managers have been steeped in places like the Michigan Business School, in the notions of economics. And economics is not about meaning. It's not about morality. It is about transactional progress and transactional analysis. And there is no place for purpose and meaning and the why in, econ- in economics because they don't understand human motivation. They understand economic motivation, which is important. Good. I am not belittling that. We need that stuff. But there's so much more that that logic will not take you to. And so the experience is that most executives, if they're doing purpose, it's usually because they're being forced by a member of the board who says, you have to have a purpose statement. So they say, oh, all right, give me a task force. You got three weeks. Give me a purpose statement. It is an artificial task. It's one more check mark on the task list that the CEO has. He doesn't believe in purpose. He's being forced to to state a purpose. So they come up with a statement. They put it on the website. Then you go to the cafeteria and you talk to the clerk at the end of the line. You say, hey, I noticed that purpose statement up on the board. What do you think about that? And she rolls her eyes. Now, what that executive has done is he's done positive harm to his company by creating a purpose statement that's not real and a value statement that's not real. He's increased the cynicism in his system. And that's what normally happens. It's not until that purpose statement is authentic that anything's going to happen. We used to, Andrew and I finished that book, we decided the most important word in the book was the word authentic. Until the purpose statement is authentic, until the CEO is living the purpose statement, the C-suite is living it, and then research shows until it gets to the middle managers living it, it doesn't have the collective impact. And in the companies where it gets all the way to the bottom, the impacts are dramatic, right? Why? Because all of a sudden, the lowest level people have a reason to come to work in the morning they have a reason to be unified with other people so we're talking about you know a very challenging but great opportunity
1: more on purpose driven leadership after this short break the buzz around gen ai isn't going anywhere leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash GenAI now. So, Bob, give me a guess. How many companies have authentic purpose top to bottom, and how many is it just a slogan on a wall?
0: Yeah, I think there's a whole, uh, there's a kind of a continuum. You get the Elon Musk stories, right? I'm going to fire 90% of them. I'm going to, uh, okay. There's one end of the, of the continuum. Just exploit the people, make the money. And then you have the group where they've, they've sort of nailed it and they're having tremendous amount of success. That's a pretty small number, but the number is growing.
1: Well, my unscientific opinion is it's 10% or less of companies.
0: Yeah, that that would, you know, that's, that's a very reasonable... Hundreds yeah. of
1: companies, maybe thousands by now, but it's so inspiring, yet it baffles me why there's an argument still between the economic-led firm versus the the purpose-led firm. Why do people see that as an either-or? Is there a way to be purpose-driven and still be... Responsible to your shareholders?
0: Uh-oh, now, now you've opened the door. There's so much to be said here. Number one, we have something called regression to the mean. Every culture in every social system, whether it's a family, a team, an entire company, has a culture. The culture is driving things to what is normal. When you deviate from the norm, if you engage in negative deviance, the culture will punish you. If you engage in positive deviance, that is, if you do good things outside the norm, you will be punished. The culture doesn't discern between good. In fact, you know, I, since 2020, when we founded the field of positive organization scholarship and got deeply into these things, Kim Cameron and I have traveled the world. We spend a week with a group of executives pouring all this science on them. It's so exciting. They sit on the edge of their seats. They drink it in. And on Friday, I say, okay, now what are you going to go home and do differently? And their faces fill with terror. Fill with terror. Now, these are high-level, highly educated, experienced executives. Why would they become terrified? Because they're still in high school. In high school, you and I had one reason to exist. It wasn't education. It wasn't sports. It was not being laughed at, right? It was complying with the social pressure of the peer group, losing our influence, losing our reputation. That's externally directed behavior, and it permeates hierarchies, and it terrifies them to experiment with these kinds of things when they know the majority of the people have been trained to think another way. The only people who are ever going to do that are people we call leaders. Now, the word leader here is crucial. When we talk about leader in conventional language, we say she's our CEO. She's our leader. He's our division chief. He's our leader. We equate position with leadership. Position does not make you a leader. Leader is someone who exerts influence and a person willingly follows that influence. Until someone follows willingly, you're not leading. Using authority and using rewards and punishments to force people to do things is management, not leadership. A great leader has a vision. There's a CEO who said, I don't want you to hold your people accountable. I want your people to hold themselves accountable. That sounds like a clever statement. That is a terrifying statement. It means you, the manager, must know how to inspire. The average manager doesn't know how to inspire. They know how to instruct. So we're talking about leaving the middle of the curve and going to the far right side of the curve where the dynamics are not hierarchical. They're emergent. They're about learning in uncertainty, about making change. Entrepreneurs understand that, but most executives don't. In fact, they're terrified of it.
1: Now, let's uh, get to the idea of everyone as a leader. You've written about it. But I want to start with, you and I both have daughters. And Hermania Abera at London Business School, she did research on, on women leaders. She concludes that clarity of purpose is essential to holding on to your identity as the world tries to turn you into one of the boys. And one of our other podcast episodes is with a woman business leader, very successful business leader, in fact, one that's a a fan of yours. And she, she recounted stories about how difficult it is to be a woman in a world that tries to turn you into one of the boys. And I was surprised by that. So I'd love to get your advice to women who aspire to become business leaders. How can they make their dreams and aspirations come true?
0: Okay, so let's start with where we just were. There's a culture. For decades, it's been a masculine male culture. And I've watched all kinds of women trying to make it in the system. And they'll say to me in a variety of languages of words, I can't do that. That would be a feminine thing to do, and I can't risk that. I have to be a man, right? So what's the woman saying? The woman is saying, here's a culture. Here's the expectation set. Here's the road that I have to walk down. I have to pretend to be a man. Now, a large number of women believe that. Let's twist it for just a second. Because the dynamic is unchanging, the exact same thing holds for men. The men are pretending to be somebody at work, just like the women. They're all still in high school. They're all trying to conform. Now, Abir's statement is so powerful and so strong and so important because she's saying you have to know your purpose in order to be who you really are. Well, that's exactly right. So her statement is so important for women, for men, for teenagers, for everybody.
1: So that goes right back to what you said in the very beginning when you told the story about your daughter being on- honest and vulnerable and authentic. And what you're saying is when you finally figure all of that out, it doesn't matter because you're, you're always wearing a mask, a false mask, until you figure that out. Exactly right. So two sort of final thoughts. How do we deal with that? How do we quiet the ego or how do we learn to set that aside? How do we get to our purpose? How do I get to that level of authenticity? How do I sort of break out and achieve the sort of goals and aspirations I have for myself?
0: I get inundated with this conversation at the University of Michigan, right? All these young, either seniors or MBA students, uh, this is a big issue for them. Let me take two short stories. One, This young woman sent me an email, said, can I please take you to lunch? I want to read you a letter. I thought, what in the world is this about? (laughs) But I said, yes. It turned out she had attended a workshop that I did. She said it was the most important 90 minutes of my education at the University of Michigan. It absolutely changed everything. She said, by the time I was a senior, I had clarified my purpose and I clarified the job that I wanted on the job market. The only problem is this job didn't exist in any company. So when I met with the recruiters, I laid out the job that I intended to do. And I asked them if they're ready to hire me to do the job that didn't exist. Most of them just panicked. She said, but one of them hired me. She said, in two months, I'm starting my job. It's a job no one's ever done before that I designed before I ever went there. Now, that is an incredible story of an empowered human being, right? Every else goes to the job market terrified. She went with complete purpose. I had a young man come to me. He said, I wanted to be a creative writer. My father said I had to be an investment banker. You know, I've gotten my degree. I've got this first level job. I want to be a leader, but there's no way in this first job I can. Here's all the reasons why. And an all long list of learned helplessness. I said to him, tell me something. Can you discern between a good creative writer and a great one? He said, the great creative writers have a voice. They're authentic. I said, what do you think is the difference between a good leader and a great leader? Basically, we made the connection. And I said, there'll be 100 people at your level when you start your job. 99 of them will be living in the same fear and learned helplessness you just communicated to me. Is there any reason Why you can't be the equivalent of a great creative writer because the process is exactly the same. Now his mouth was on the floor and he said, I've never thought about it like that. Now, by the time we finished that conversation, he had a vision to be proactive rather than reactive, which he did not have before that conversation, right? It was all about purpose. And all of a sudden he could see purpose applies anywhere, anytime any level any role in life all right
1: we're going to have to i have to get to my final question bob what are you curious about and learning now
0: yeah that's uh, that's an easy one in the year 2000 we introduced a new field of study called positive organization scholarship we said social science is really good at telling us what's normal what's at the middle of the curve it's really good at answering questions about what's wrong what's on the left side of the curve It's absolutely abysmal at answering what's going on on the right side of the curve. So we launched that new field of study. Over the last 20 years, there have been many hundreds of studies done. And when you take all those studies and start to homogenize them and boil them down, what you discover on the right side of the curve is excellence. Excellence, by definition, is deviance from the norm. In excellence, there are dynamics that we see across these studies, and there's all kinds of powerful lessons, including purpose is one of the things that we find there, one of the most powerful. But the thing that's fascinated me for 20 years is the inability of the human mind to contemplate excellence. We have these inoculations, these defenses And what absolutely fascinates me is how do we teach people to learn from excellence so they can create excellence? That is an important question.
1: Wow. That's beautiful. I love it. All right, Professor Bob Quinn, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Can't wait to have
0: you back. (laughs) It's always a delight to be with you, my friend. Thanks for listening. Bob Quinn is a
1: professor at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and a co-founder of the Center for Positive Organizations. His latest book is The Positive Organization, Breaking Free of Conventional Cultures, Constraints, and Beliefs. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy. If you've learned something new, tell a friend about this show. Follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, such as Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. That way you never miss an episode. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you close skill gaps and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vicmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard.